0: This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. You know, it's hard to believe, but we're coming up upon show number 600. Looks as though we're going to hit that on our first show of 2014. That would be on the 2nd of January. But uh, the count on that may be up, so we're inviting Katherine Harris and Jeb Bush to come in and tally up our show numbers and see if it uh, if it squares and while we're at it, we may get Arthur Anderson to certify that this show is indeed triple A rated. You know at the end of each year, we try to look back at uh, at people we've lost, uh, events that took place, and that uh, we may do that in part today, depending on how the mood strikes us, but uh, that's a, a project that usually spaced out over several programs, looking back and looking forward. And by the way, here's a sad commentary. This correspondent was watching TV the other night, hit upon a channel that was really showing what was going on at the Mandela funeral in some detail, uh, really explaining the context, doing a wonderful job of that. And uh, I left the room, came back, and they had Edward Snowden on, talking about, uh, you know, his motivations. You know, here he is, a guy getting paid a lot of money living in Hawaii. He's doing this because he thinks it's important. And I ask myself, what channel is this? And I take a look. Oh, it's Al Jazeera America doing a better job than CNN. How weird is that? And by the way, we we may do a comparison later between Fox News and the North Korean news agency, which uh, are looking a little more similar than I would have thought. Anyway, let's start this program as we usually do with On This Date in History. Our date in question today is the 19th of December. It was on December 19th in 1900 that the French Parliament agreed to grant amnesty for those involved in the Dreyfus Affair. You know, we've talked in the past about doing a segment on the Dreyfus Affair and also about Oliver Cromwell, but uh, we haven't gotten to do those yet, but Mr. McGillan, make a note of that for 2014, will you?
1: Noted.
0: On December 19th in 1910, Rayon was first commercially produced in Pennsylvania. It was known as artificial silk. The term rayon was not adopted until 1924. On December 19, 1941, dissatisfied with the German offensive against Moscow, Adolf Hitler assumed the position of commander-in-chief of the German army. Luckily for the Allies, he turned out to be a very poor commander-in-chief. Here's a sad one. On December 19th in 1972, the U.S. Apollo lunar landing program ended as Apollo 17 splashed down safely in the Pacific. They had originally planned to go up through Apollo 20, but Dick Nixon decided to curtail some of that because he wasn't getting as much political glory as he might have hoped. And finally, on December 19th in 1974... The personal computer revolution was launched when the Altair 880, a do-it-yourself computer kit, went on sale for $397. The computer used switches for input and flashing lights as a display. Our quote of the week comes from House Speaker John Boehner, who, fed up with the static coming from right-wing groups like the Heritage Foundation, Americans for Prosperity, and FreedomWorks, said, They are not fighting for conservative policy. They're fighting to expand their lists, raise more money, and grow their organizations, and they are using you to do it. It's ridiculous. That's rather refreshing. Our clip of the day comes from the late, great George McGovern, who once said, the longer the title, the less important the job. Our joke of the day comes from David Letterman's writers, who had him asking last week, how many of you watched the Sound of Music show on NBC? Well, they're going to repeat it on Saturday, and... That will give me an opportunity to not watch it for a second time. Our anecdote of the week is as follows. Florida attorney Stephen Jerome, representing Robert Infante on trial in 1982 for kicking a neighbor's car with intent to dent, Jerome thought he could charm the jury into a not guilty verdict by singing his closing argument. For the melody, Jerome chose the aria Vesti la Guba from Leon Cavallo's opera... I. Pagliacci. Jerome, a tenor, gave the performance of his life, his face reddening as he reached for the high notes. The jurors <laughs> stared in disbelief and erupted in giggles. Then they came back with a guilty verdict. Said the defendant about his counsel's ploy, I don't think it helped. Our stat of the day is $450,000. That's the amount that Hillary Clinton was paid to make a single speech to the Chicago Mercantile Exchange's Global Financial Leadership Conference in Naples, Florida. Of course, if my memory serves me correctly, and it usually does, I, I think Ronald Reagan made something like a couple million dollars giving one single speech to Japan after he left the presidency. Actually, I have it right in front of me here on the web. It looks like he... he I'm, I'm sorry. He made two speeches. When Nancy Reagan was questioned about it, she indignantly said in reply, Should we have asked for less? Twitch Radio Parallax might suggest the answer should be yes. All right, let's take a moment and, and concentrate on some good news. There is some good news out there. Let's take a few minutes and, and outline some of it. Good news from South America. Dateline Montevideo, Uruguay. Uruguay has become the world's first nation to legally regulate the production, sale, and and consumption of marijuana. After a passionate debate in which opponents pointed out that most Uruguayans disapprove of the legislation, the Senate this week approved a bill the lower house passed in July. President Jose Mujica led the push to legalize, despite voter opposition, arguing it's the only way to stamp out the drug cartels that terrorize Latin America. Uruguayans will be able to grow their own pot I register with a marijuana club that will grow it and then sell it. We think that's some sane news. All right, here's one we've been sitting on for a while. Apparently popcorn is healthier than some people think. Last spring, researchers at the University of Scranton in Pennsylvania tested popcorn and found that it is more nutritious than fruits and vegetables provided you don't, uh, you know, slather it with oil or butter. They ran tests on several different popcorn brands and found that the holes, which are the the fragments that can get stuck in your teeth, contain surprisingly high levels of antioxidants called polyphenols. They've been found to reduce the risk of cancer and heart disease. If you compare the amount of polyphenols a serving of popcorn provides with uh, that of most fruits fruits and vegetables, turns out popcorn does twice as well. But you know, the author Joe Vincent, I think, took it a bit far when when reporting to ScienceDaily.com that the whole fragments in particular are nutritional gold nuggets. When air popped, the snack contains far fewer calories than snacks like chips or trail mix. Now I have to ask you, dear listener, have you ever tried air popped popcorn? Well, if you have, I'm sure you can verify the fact that it makes excellent packing material. And speaking of snack foods, it turns out that regularly eating a handful of nuts might help us all live longer. A new observational study reported in CNN.com of about 119,000 men and women found that those who ate the recommended one-and-a-half-ounce serving of nuts every day were 20% less likely to die over 30 years. Researchers also saw a 29% reduction in deaths from heart disease and an 11% reduction in the risks of dying from cancer. Researchers did point out that uh, a correlation between nut eating and longer lives doesn't prove a cause— being that nut eaters also tend to be leaner, less likely to smoke, and more likely to exercise and eat their fruits and vegetables, not to mention popcorn. All right, there's a lot of bad news over in the the Middle East. The Jordan Valley might be an epicenter of a lot of bad news. But um, here's a good item. In a deal signed last Monday and being hailed as historic, Israel, Jordan, and the Palestinian Authority have agreed to an ambitious project to begin to refill the Dead Sea with briny water pumped from the Red Sea. Apparently, there'll be a large desalination plant in Jordan on the Gulf of Aqaba. It'll suck billions of gallons from the Red Sea and convert it into drinking water. That water would be shared by and sold to thirsty customers in Jordan and Israel. As part of that agreement, Israel agreed to increase the amount of water it sells to the Palestinian Authority. Billions of gallons of reject brine, essentially super salty water created by the process, would then be pumped via a new 100-mile pipeline and discharged into the Dead Sea. The water level of the lake has dropped more than 80 feet in the past half-century as the Jordan River has uh, been reduced to a trickle, sucked dry by Israel and Jordanian agricultural projects. This correspondent did chance to witness the Jordan River just about where it enters the Dead Sea. And I would compare its volume to what you might witness flowing down your gutter during a particularly rainy day. So uh, I'm glad they're not going to let it continue to dry up. And uh, here's further embellishment of a story we talked about, I don't know, a few months ago. Otters may be making a return into the San Francisco Bay Area. Earlier this year, a river otter, which has been nicknamed Sutro Sam, became the first of these whiskered critters to be seen in San Francisco for decades. The juvenile male drew crowds to a brackish pool on a seaside cliff when he swam and ate for a few days and thrilled onlookers before disappearing quietly. In October, a river otter was photographed in Lake Merritt, hoisting itself onto the dock and munching a fish. Earlier this month, a man taking a walk on the Richmond Arena was surprised to see another otter, In all, researchers have received 600 reported sightings throughout the San Francisco Bay region over the past two years. And apparently people throughout the region are reporting otter families and groupings in more isolated locations in the North Bay and the East Bay. The operating theory here is that bay waters and surrounding watersheds have become better river otter habitat due to decades of clean water laws that were passed after otters declined in the mid-20th century. Also, the state has passed a ban on hunting the creatures for their fur. Peace in the Sacramento Bee by Jason Duren, quoted Mia Monroe, site supervisor for the Muir Woods National Monument, who noted that families of otters were now regularly spotted in areas that include a former parking lot that's been restored to a wetland status. She said the otters, which need clean water and lots of fish and other food to survive, are a living testament to restoration work and environmental improvements. Monroe said, we know that if you have otters, it's an important clue that other things are getting better. Well, we hope so. We should clarify that all Sutro Sam was seen near the site of the ruins of the old Sutro Baths. He was indeed a river otter, not a member of the sea otter species, which are so famous down in the Monterey Bay area. River otters live in freshwater and on land in burrows along the, the banks of, uh, of, of streams and, and lakes. Sea otters, by contrast, are ocean-going creatures. And while the sea otters continue to have a rather precarious uh, position, in uh, their population coming back along our, uh, our, our seacoast, uh, river otters are, are not particularly endangered. If you've ever gone out and tried to take the time to spot one, and, and I hope you will, you may observe that they are especially playful creatures. You'll see families of them uh, cavorting about and um, playing with each other. There just isn't any other word for it. All right, having specifically cited some good news, let's get back to our regular fare. Before we get too deep into that, let, let's take a moment and do the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for rationalizations after China's state-run Global Times newspaper claimed that the country's choking air pollution was good for national defense because the smog would blind enemy missile guidance systems and drones. It was, on the other hand, a bad week for the deaf after a fraud provided the sign language translation at Nelson Mandela's memorial service. Said the South Africa Deaf Federation, he was moving his hands around, but there was no meaning in what he used his hands for. The man apparently did not know how to sign, Thank you, or Mandela, that apparently included nonsense words like horse and prawn during the ceremony. The further complication of this story, it turns out the man was once involved or accused of murder. Since he was doing his signing within three feet of Barack Obama and other world leaders, it does appear that uh, security broke down a bit here. And it was without a doubt an ugly week last week for lonely people after officials in Madison, Wisconsin, shut down the Snuggle House, which evidently charges $60 an hour for hugging with a professional cuddler. The authorities apparently had concerns the business could be a front for prostitution. Madison Assistant City Attorney Jennifer Zillavy said, I don't know any man who wants to just snuggle. Well, Ms. Zillavy, that that sounds like that might be a bit of a personal problem. This is one we'd like to hear from you on, dear listener. Would you pay $60 an hour to snuggle with somebody? Drop us a line at info at Radio Parallax and give us your opinion. And I do have to note, with sadness for Mr. Merlin and myself, that no matter what the popular demand may turn out to be on this, we are not going to open up a Radio Parallax snuggle house. But seriously, would you pay 60 bucks an hour to snuggle? And finally, it was uh, both a bad and ugly week, we'd have to say, for our future with the news that the National Security Agency is now offering paid internships to high school students as young as 15. One young intern was quoted on an online review as saying, wonderful experience. Can't really say too much. Also from the week, we have two items from the Only in America file. First this, a six-year-old boy in Colorado was suspended from school for sexual harassment for kissing a female classmate on the hand. The little girl did not complain, but officials say that under the rules, the kiss qualifies as harassment. Said the boy's mother, this is taking it to an extreme. Now my son's asking, what is sex, mommy? But wait, it gets worse. (laughs) Item number two. Apparently, a TSA agent confiscated a tiny toy gun belonging to an air traveler's sock monkey. Phyllis May of Redmond, Washington, who makes custom sock monkey dolls, brought the dolls and its props in her carry-on bag, but a security agent seized the two-inch toy pistol as a security threat. Said May, the monkey's been disarmed, so I'm sure everyone on the plane was safe. At some point, doesn't common sense prevail? Well, to Phyllis May, we would have to reply, not as far as we've seen. All right, and finally, we cannot resist the dispatch coming out of North Korea as regarding the the execution of Jang Song Thaek. In fact, we think we would do well to quote directly from the North Korean authorities on this. And And see if this doesn't remind you just a little bit of Fox News. Pyongyang, December 13th. Upon hearing the report on the enlarged meeting of the political bureau of the Central Committee of the Workers' Party in Korea, the service personnel and people throughout the country broke into angry shouts that a stern judgment of the revolution should be meted out to the anti-party counter-revolutionary factional elements. Against the backdrop of the shouts rocking the country, a special military tribunal of the DPRK Ministry of State Security was held on December 12th against the traitor for all ages, Jang Song faek The tribunal examined Jang's crimes. All the crimes committed by the accused were proved in the course of the hearing and were admitted by him. A decision of the special military tribunal of the Ministry of State Security of the DPRK was read out at the trial. Every sentence of the decision served as a sledgehammer blow brought down by our angry service personnel and people on the head of Jang, an anti-party counter-revolutionary factional element and despicable political careerist and trickster. The accused is a traitor to the nation for all ages who perpetrated anti-party counter-revolutionary factional acts in a bid to overthrow the leadership of our party and state and the socialist system. Doesn't that remind you just a little bit of Sean Hannity? Although I have to admit, uh, the over-the-top, <laughs> wild-eyed accusations of this release, uh, well, they are just have an entertainment value of their own. I think even Hannity might have to draw the line at saying, It is an elementary obligation of a human being to repay trust with a sense of obligation and benevolence with loyalty. However, despicable human scum Jang, who was worse than a dog, perpetrated thrice cursed acts of treachery and betrayal of such profound trust and warmest paternal love shown by the party and the leader for him. I have to say, the guys that write that stuff, they don't sound like they're any fun to party with at all. But you know, one guy we know for a fact it is fun to party with, there's our very own Mr. Will Durst.
1: Hey guys, we'll thirst you with a few choice words about these exciting times in which we live. Recent revelations suggest we're all inadvertent characters in a governmental spy novel. You may have thought the NSA was everywhere, but apparently you didn't know the half of it. The New York Times reports a spy agency is monitoring online game rooms like World of Warcraft and Second Life are those trolls or undercover spooks or both not just an operations chief but a night elf hunter guild leader as well james bond's new assignment to enchant a goblin priest the operatives claim their goal is to thwart terrorism, but that's pretty much their answer to everything these days, including lunch at Quiznos. Who knows what they're really doing? Maybe checking out skill sets, filling emergency requests from the military to wander around Call of Duty Black Ops 2. We need someone who goes that are left well and is able to take out multiple drones with one RPG. And while you're at it, check around Grand Theft Auto for someone who can steer with his knees. Gives gamers an excuse, too. I'm not wasting time. I'm gathering counterintelligence. What about the games that weren't mentioned? Think Zelda's feeling a little less than? Of course, with today's gamers having their every move under civilians isn't that big of a problem. Knowing the NSA is watching your foray into gem collection just might make it more enticing. After all, the new Xbox has a camera and microphone that remain on and pointing at your couch even when the game is off. Coming up next, Paranoia, the game of life. Friend or foe, you'll never know. Don't just play the game, be the game. Then again, just the thought of government employees spending the whole day playing video games makes a man proud to pay his taxes, don't it? For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Dirk.
0: And yes, what Mr. Durst is referring to is an example of truth being stranger than fiction. According to documents leaked last week by Edward Snowden, the NSA assumed that game features like fake identities, text chats, and the anonymous movement of money would appeal to militants. Agents began analyzing in-game communications as early as 2007, reportedly using virtual characters to snoop on targets and recruit informers. The agency was also concerned that some games would, quote, offer realistic weapons training, unquote, and military skills. An NSA document stated, you know, some of the 9-11 pilots had never flown a real plane. They'd only trained using Microsoft's flight simulator, which is pretty astute judgments except for the fact that it's completely and totally wrong. All of the four pilots implicated in the 9-11 attacks were pilots or had a great deal of actual training in aircraft. Anyway, we'll talk more about this NSA story in our next segment. But let's take a short break. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax.